Welcome to my Soul Life podcast. This is my playground and I'm your host, Susan Scollin. I believe that we can live a life we love every day. To do this, we have to go on a journey to uncover who we are on every layer. Join me each Monday for conversations about following our soul's calling and embodying what lights us up so we can become even more amazing people. And then later in the week, I'll be back with our Soul Life conversations where we open up and explore who we truly are to become authentically us. Be inspired. A quick reminder for you that all the information shared in this podcast is my experience and the experience of my guest. It's not medical or mental health advice, diagnosis or treatment, and I'd encourage you to seek professional advice where needed. Today I'm chatting with Bethany Shields. Bethany has a wealth of experience and information in the nutrition space, particularly when we're setting ourselves big goals like endurance running or cycling or whatever it is for you. Her own weight journey is an absolute inspiration and she really embodies what it means to be healthy as you define it, not how society defines it. Bethany Shields is a large-bodied athlete and certified coach in nutrition and sleep stress and recovery specializing in nutrition for athletes and behavior change psychology. Bethany helps women athletes stop dieting and get strong. After three decades of riding the roller coaster of dieting, she healed her relationship with food and now helps other women do the same, focusing on self-care through nutrition, movement, mindset, and body image. You can work with Bethany through her free video series, Spark, her coaching community for women athletes called Fuel, and her signature one-on-one coaching program, Nourish. Sounds delightful and inspiring. Hey, I took heaps of heaps away from this conversation with Bethany, and I know you will too. Be inspired by her and tap into her. No matter where we're at on our journey, we can always learn and be more and be authentically us, our version of it. Bethany and I would love to hear what you took away from this episode. So head over to my website, susanscollin.com or Instagram, my.soul.life.podcast and tell us. And you can reach out to Bethany via the show notes for this episode on my website too. See you inside. Welcome, Bethany. It's really great to have you here today, and I'm excited for this conversation. So thank you for being here with me. Thanks so much for having me, Susan. (laughs) I love to start by asking my guests, what's one thing that's bringing you the most joy at the moment? The thing that is bringing me the most joy at the moment is actually being a consistent exerciser. I have been cycling on my indoor bike regularly for like... I don't know. I would say like the past two and a half months, like very consistently. And I'm building up towards endurance mileage on my bike. So this month I actually have a 40 mile ride planned and then next month I'll do a 50 mile ride. So it's just been really fun and it's a good way to get moving first thing in the morning. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. That's huge. Thanks. Yeah. It can be really challenging to set in place like a goal and then actually turn up and and do it. What's that process been like for you? Um, I used to, like my consistency before was with um, running and strength training, and I had a hip injury back in January, so that kind of sidelined me for a bit, and I took a hiatus from running. So finding something that I enjoyed enough to do regularly took me a little bit of time to figure that out but I really like the cycling because it's easy enough to fit in my day I don't have to leave the house there's not any like 
for me, there's not a whole lot of mind drama involved with it. And even like the longer stints of exercise are short enough that I can fit it into my life right now. So it's not like I'm having to go out on a three to four hour run, which is great. Yeah. And that makes such a huge difference, isn't it? Being able to do it in your home whenever it sort of suits you. You don't have to worry about weather conditions. You just jump on and do it around your schedule. Like it just, it can just flow from there. Yep. And your hair can be a mess. Nobody cares. It's great. (laughs) Absolutely. You could be in your pajamas and doing it. Nobody Mm -hmm. cares. Yeah. I've done that before. It's good. So can you take us back on your journey? Like where did, what was your journey like? What did it look like? And, And how does it bring you to where you are today? Well, I kind of started my health journey. um, I mean, I've been on a (laughs) long-term health journey, we'll say, of about like three plus decades of dieting and, you know, the yo-yo cycle of fun. But I would say I got very serious um, when I turned 39 that I decided that when I was 40, that's when I would like to be healthy so that I could like have, you know, uh, active, healthy life moving forward. I didn't want to have any like medical challenges if I could prevent any of that. So during that time, I was a classical musician. I had like a whole other life <laughs> back in my 30s. I was a classical musician. I was a musicologist, opera singer, pianist, and educator. And I was running my own music studio teaching. Um But I was also, like, really sedentary, very unhealthy. I was, like, you know, coffee, pizza, wine o'clock. Like, that was the cycle of life. And I just, like, was very unhappy. I felt lonely um, because of my choices that I had been making for myself. So I decided I was going to start with my eating habits and change from there. And then that moved into fitness and here I am today. (laughs) I have made a lot of changes. Now I am a certified nutrition coach and I work. I'm also an endurance athlete, runner. I lift weights. I do the endurance cycling now. And like, I work with these badass athletes (laughs) who like one of my clients actually just this past weekend ran a hundred K Wow. That's <laughs> and like six years ago when I started running, I would never have imagined that I would first of all be in the presence of such amazing people, let alone help coach them towards their health goals. So literally like a 360 um, with my life. Yeah. That's incredible. Congratulations yeah. on going on that Thanks. journey. Yeah. Can you take us back to the dieting days and what that kind of looked like for you? Yeah, that was <laughs> You're rolling a hot your eyes. mess. <laughs> hot mess inside a dumpster fire wrapped in a flaming Cheeto. I don't, yeah, it was bad. Um, I feel like, you know, I went to a nutritionist when I was a child, as many people from my decade of life have been involved with that. And, you know, it's... Um, it's just the way, you know, the time and well-intentioned family members, right? Um, but that, like, started a cycle, like a psychological cycle with me always being on a diet, restricting, 
not being able to maintain that and then beating myself up about it for 30 years. Um, So, you know, that was, I would go through periods where I would lose a lot of weight, keep it off for a little while, but something in my life would go on. Like I would break up with somebody or whatever. And then automatically I was right back where I was or heavier. So that's been my life drama um, with that. And when I um, got into like my serious, we'll say in quotes, serious health journey, when I was 39, I was like, I'm going to do this very differently and do this for health, quote, also. (laughs) Do this for health reasons and be really healthy about it, which like, what does that even mean? Looking back, like I have a lot of questions to my 39-year-old self. What does that mean? And I then started restricting everything for health. But I was eating very like unprocessed vegan diet, like on the surface, yes, very healthy. But I, during that time, became a little bit obsessive and had a lot of like disordered habits, I would say, with restriction in my approach to eating and fitness. Um, I had underwent weight loss surgery in 2016 as part of, like I had lost a lot of weight and then had uh, weight loss surgery. And that then increased a lot of that, um, I don't want to say obsession with restraint, but it did like increase my disordered, I guess, behaviors around eating and fitness, um, where I was like a little hyper fixated on that and the scale. Um, so that's been the larger challenge that I have been dealing with over, you know, the last few years. Um, and while that was happening, um, I started to have a lot of also challenges with managing my eating out of stress. So I decided that I was going to look into this, um, becoming a certified nutrition coach really to teach myself, like to figure out what was going on (laughs) that I was like eating out of stress. But during that process, I was like, whoa, um, maybe, maybe I'm one of these people that has some of these like disordered (laughs) leaning types of behaviors. So I should probably look into this, right? And have like work on developing a more relaxed and neutral attitude about food and the way I'm feeding myself. So during that whole process, I actually started to heal my relationship with food, um, which has been great. And I've been seeing a therapist for the past few years to work on the way that I, um, sort of like cope with my stress Mm. with eating. And I've learned like a ton, (laughs) obviously like through my coaching and working with other people, but also just like applying a lot of this into my own life. I've learned so much. Um, And now like I have a completely different way, the way that I look at food nutrition and fitness all together for myself and also for others and just sort of breaking out of this like always being on a diet and how the world always wants us on a diet and there is so much 
more than we can do with our minds and with our lives when we are not fixating on counting calories, looking at the scale, measuring our food, like all of these things that we do. So that's been a really long process, yeah. but very, um, very helpful. And I'm, you know, my weight has fluctuated throughout time. And um, after my surgery, I regained a bit of weight. And now like that's decreasing, but eventually it's going to even out at a healthier place for me. So um, I'm really happy with how this process has gone, even though it's taken a very long time. Like I kind of wish I never found a diet and could have done this from the beginning, but like, you know, hashtag the more, you know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, But it is a journey like, and it's great Mm -hmm. that you kind of went, I'm going to do this differently at 39. We don't need to do this anymore. Like we don't need to diet anymore. And that diet culture is so ingrained in us, particularly those that live through perhaps the 80s and the 90s, you know, that kind of, and I'm sure beyond, I don't think I paid as much attention, but I'm sure it was all there. Um, And it's still there today around that whole, like you said, calorie counting, restricting the foods that we're eating, don't, you know, don't buy these certain things when maybe sometimes you want to have them. And so finding that balance is really empowering too. Yeah. Yeah. Has that been part of your journey through this, this next phase is finding that balance for you? Yeah. It's all about finding like how, like if we're talking about like foods that maybe we would previously moralize and look at as good or bad, which it's just food, right? And every food can fit into your life. It's just sort of like, okay, if I want this now, like what if it's chocolate or something, I'll just use chocolate as an example. Like, am I hungry for chocolate? Number one. Yeah. (laughs) or is am I like searching for some type of comfort or something through chocolate? Because that's that's different, right? Yeah. And so chocolate it's was definitely able my... to identify yeah. why you're doing the thing, right? Yeah, totally. Chocolate was a yeah. comfort food for me too. So it was like, yeah. why am I actually eating this? Oh, to connect with my husband because I'm doing something, you know, like we're sitting on the couch together, but I'm studying and he's watching the TV and that connects us. And I'm like, oh, maybe we could do this differently. <laughs> like yeah. I could stop studying earlier or maybe some nights I do have to study and that's okay. And then, but other nights I don't. So finding that balance. Right. <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, that diet cycle is so vicious and so much comes from a place of lack um, and that we have to fix ourselves. Were they right. some of the stories that came up for you? Yeah. yeah. And I found like even at a very young age when I was losing weight or was restricting what I was eating, I would get a lot of positive feedback, right? Yes. yes. So yes. then you're searching out this positive feedback. And then as you start to gain weight, you lose the positive feedback. And then people are asking questions like, oh, well, it looks like you've put on some weight. So then the self-beatings begin, right? And it's like the negative self-talk that goes along with the fact that like, oh, well, I can't do this right. Other people can do this right, but this is like really hard for me. I suck at this. And, you know, the chatter begins. 
And it literally was like probably 30 years of that. Mm. (laughs) And it gets ingrained and it's really, it's very hard to undo. So like, I'm very thankful that through my process with um, going through my coaching certifications, I now easily identify that. I also, my running coach that I work with, we do a lot of thought work that helps me to identify that. And I also work with a therapist that I get to bounce some ideas off of also. So it's like having that, um, that nice little circle of help and accountability that I've created for myself really helps me check myself so I don't wreck myself. And that like, you know, I have over time learned to be more compassionate Mm. to myself, which is something that I really struggled with before. Mm. And I'm keen to understand how, like what were those first steps that you took to create that self-compassion? Do you remember what they were? I think honestly is just being aware yeah. that you're talking to yourself in a negative way, right? Yeah. Like if you do it for a really long time, it just becomes part of what you do. It's part of your behavior and you don't recognize it as being negative, right? Yeah. It's just normal. Yeah. So like when you draw awareness to that and you become more mindful, you can be like, oh, I'm doing that thing again where I'm not being great to myself. Yeah. Noted, right? I know that. And then the more you note it, you're like, okay, well, how can I reframe this so it's not, you know, I'm not having nasty talk to myself. and. Mm. And then kind of working out out of there and, you know, as you're able to reframe, that, that then helps you get in a place where you're able to kind of change your mindset to a more positive mindset. But it does, it's a long process and it's like, it's a lot of up and down. It's not like a straightforward progression at all. <laughs> and it's keep. It's also like keeping being mindful of that because if it's a long pattern of behavior, it's going to creep back in. Yeah, and it creeps back in different areas of our lives as well. Like it's not mm-hmm. just in like food. Did you find that, you know, those stories or perhaps those limiting beliefs or those, you know, need to fix things were showing up in other areas of your life as well? 100. <laughs> yeah. 100. Yeah. So like I have always been sort of a perfectionist person, overachiever, all like doing all of the things. And whatever I was doing was not even if it was perfect, which yeah. what is that? It's not a thing. Yeah. Um even if it looked perfect and I went through all the steps and got like an A plus on all, you know, like academics, we love, <laughs> we love an A plus and we love like getting all like good feedback from our colleagues and things like that and publishing all the things. And, but even with all of that, you can still, it can always be better. Right. Mm-mm. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't ever stop. Like, And I think um, it's interesting that, like, having a background in classical music, especially as an opera singer, half of what, like, your training and what you do is correcting yourself. Yeah. Critiquing yourself, judging yourself, and fixing yourself. Yes. (laughs) And not only, like, 
your voice, your performance, your movement. It's also how you look in all of like so many aspects. So I created a really nice life for myself where that was just part of who I was like, and also my career, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's taken a lot of unraveling as well. Cause that is, that's a deep. <laughs> yeah. Well, that it's my, a deep tread. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that reinforcement of that learned behavior or learned thoughts through, like you said, multiple areas of your life. And yeah. you're like, oh my God, like, how does this show up again? Like, and here it is over here. How do I unpick that over there? Yeah. I think it comes back to what you said earlier. It was around that awareness. Once you're aware Often what I do is have a laugh at myself and go, oh, there it is again. I can't yeah. believe it's here. So it happened with me with something recently and I was just like, oh, my God, I'm just buying nuts at the health food store. Why are you, why are mm-hmm. you telling me this? And then it's, it's that awareness that you can have a laugh at yourself and then go, okay, we get to change this from here on in. Yeah. And I, honestly, like I am a work in progress, so it still yeah. shows up in a lot of things that I do. So, like, for an example, like I was – doing like my exercise bike and like Garmin does uh, little challenges and you get stickers for hitting certain mileage and goals and Peloton does the same thing. So I think like I had, um, I have a Garmin sticker coming up and I'm like, I could have taken a day off today and done like yoga or something else, but I'm like, Ooh, I've got like 15 miles to hit in two days. So I'm going to hit this bike. And I'm like, that's perfectionist brain. Just come in it, you know? Yeah. Okay. You're there. Yeah. (laughs) And it comes in like, you know, like you're saying for like what you would say is a healthy thing, you know, or what I would call like it's getting on the bike. So that's always got to be good, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing to do. Right. Mm. And that's a tricky one for people to pick up. Like just because it's healthy doesn't mean I should be doing that. Right. And it's super easy to, even if it's a healthy thing, get really overly invested in Mm -hmm. that. And then I guess like the thing to look at is like, why are you overly invested in that? Is it because you're getting reinforcement from a sticker, let's say, (laughs) like something like on your watch that's, oh, I hit this metric. Or like, is it that you're getting reinforcement from people yeah. Or doing a thing or looking a certain way. So like reinforcement comes at us from so many different angles. Yeah, it does. And so just being aware of that and understanding, you know, where your motivation comes from effectively. Mm-hmm. Is it externally motivated by those badges and the gamification of these apps? Yeah. And <laughs> or, you know, catching up with somebody which might be still healthy, but you're just doing it to tick a box as opposed to why internally, your intrinsic why, understanding what that is and then being able to move from that space. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were 39 and you decided to be healthy, what was, how did that click over for you? Like what, what was created or what happened to, for you to just sort of go, I'm going to do this differently? Honestly, like it was kind of like a weird thing. Like I got bronchitis. I have like chronic sinus issues so like every winter I typically get a sinus infection and depending on how early I catch it it can turn into bronchitis quickly or not right so this was one that turned into bronchitis pretty quick and I went to the doctor and I just remember like I'm like I'm sick of having sinus issues which is completely unrelated to my weight but (laughs) 
you know, it was just one of these things. I'm like, I'm tired of having sinus issues. And I was very like dissatisfied with um, the weight at the scale at the time. And I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm ready to like do something differently in a way that like is actually going to stick that isn't just like going on some crazy diet. So I'm going to like get real serious, quote unquote, and (laughs) I'm going to restrict sugar and alcohol and carbs and dairy. Like if there was something that was tasty, it was gone. (laughs) It was vegetables and sometimes fruit, like, but yeah. And like whole grain carbs, but like, yeah. So I was quote unquote serious about it. And, um, I really think it was just, I was at a point in my life where I wanted to do things differently. And I, I feel like some of that was motivated, um, just from an internal place. Like I felt sort of isolated. Um, I was, I was in my PhD program at that point and like starting my, um, or I was, I was done with my PhD program, but I was like working at the music studio and running my own business. So I kind of like felt isolated and I was just in a yucky emotional place. Yeah. And it sounds like connection is really important to you. So being able to, yeah, chat to people, have clients, that sort of stuff, as opposed to being in a space where it's just you. Yes. A little extrovert. Yeah. Which if you're by yourself, you're like, seriously, there's only so much Mm -hmm. I can play with you. Yeah. (laughs) And so if you look back and you mentioned it before, you weren't sure, but what did healthy mean to that 39-year-old? How did they define it? I think at that point in my life, healthy meant different (laughs) than what I was doing. And I think also it meant like not partying with friends And also, like, maybe, like, taking time and self, you know, doing something for myself, taking time for myself, which that was something that was, um, especially, like, during grad school, fairly foreign Mm -hmm. concept to me because I was very, like, robotic (laughs) in the way that I would just, like, pump out work, stay up all night on caffeine and then, you know, drink wine down and have some wine at night. To sleep and like the sleep was very minimal at best. So I think it was just like me trying to take a step towards caring for myself in some way um, that didn't look necessarily healthy, right? Like it looked what I thought healthy was at that point in time. Um, now looking back, I, you know, different ideas about that. But um, it was definitely like a change Mm -hmm. and it was me taking accountability for myself in a different way. Yeah. So effectively calling yourself out on the behaviours that you had just allowed to be there, Um, Mm -hmm. even though like you were dieting and doing all those things, there was some inconsistency happening in other areas of your life. Yeah. And I think a lot of us do that because we, you know, it's fun. Some of those other things are fun and we kind of don't want to lose that fun in our lives. Did you find it coming in other ways? Did you find fun coming in other ways as you were going on? Yeah, I really enjoyed exercise at that time. And I found like once I was at a place that I was 
comfortable to start like going to the gym, which I could have been going to the gym the whole time, Mm -hmm. but I had convinced myself that because I was at a certain weight and looked a certain way that I should wait and work out at home first and walk outside first before I go to the gym, which is ridiculous, right? Um, But I found that like once I started um, doing strength training and I started to try to run, like that was, I'm like, ooh, I love this. And I kept seeing progress, which was really exciting to me. Yeah, so that motivated you to keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. That's so good. And it's just those one, you know, those small steps. I was talking to a client this morning, actually, and I just said the small steps become big steps effectively. Yeah. But no matter how we look at it, a big step is a collection of small steps. And so right. we've got to start somewhere and it can just be like going for that walk today or just choosing to have an apple over a packet of chips or whatever it might be and then putting that consistently into place, that will start to grow into the next step as well. Yeah, because I never would have started running unless I started taking a walk. Yeah. So, like, it was just, like, getting outside and I enjoyed being outside and I'm like, well, I see all these other people trying to run. I'm like... I'm bigger than them, but I feel like I could try it too. So like the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to fall on my face, right? And then maybe we're done trying, but at least (laughs) try first. And we can pick ourselves up and, yeah, like you said, I don't have to do it again. I can just do it as an experiment and see what happens. Exactly. You're part of a running group now, aren't you? Like, Mm -hmm. Even though you've had your injury, but you're part of that, part of a collective of women who are running um, and inspiring each other to run. Um, How empowering has that been for you to be part of that group? It's been amazing. Like, I think, I wish I knew that there was a place, first of all, where I could find other women like me or all different types of women in different bodies running and doing races and all of this stuff. Because when I started Um, I literally, first of all, had no idea what the hell I was doing. (laughs) And second of all, like, um, I didn't have that motivation from other people. I was sort of like just trying it on my own, getting frustrated with myself. So to do it within a community of other women who are coming up against those same struggles, but still showing up and then working towards their goals and then like crushing the hell out of their goals. It's amazing because then you get that, you see all of that and it inspires you to keep doing the thing, even when it's challenging. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And that, yeah, that just having those people around you that you connect with and as being an extrovert, like you, you can tap back into them and say, Hey, look what I've achieved, or this is what I'm struggling with. How did somebody else work through it? Like there's that vulnerability that connects us but it's also we come back together and celebrate and we care and love for each other as well in those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just wonderful to have a community where there is accountability and like that you can see other people working towards their goals. Cause I think like if I had had that when I started, I probably wouldn't have struggled as long as I did with it. Cause I, when I first started running, I had a real like love hate 
relationship with it. I'm like, I'm doing this thing, but I hate it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm doing it and I'm going to do the thing that I said I was going to do. Yeah. But it was a very mentally challenging to do it all alone. Yeah. So totally. The community is like priceless. Yeah. It makes such a, you know, like transformation, but it, it, like you've touched on it, it's, it becomes quicker. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to struggle alone and you kind of get caught up in your head. And so that's where the thought work probably comes in. That's really important as well. But yeah. it's that whole that like I can do things because I'm tapped into this community, I can get faster at what I'm trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you get the energy of the group at the same time. Totally. Yeah. yeah that's really cool. So what does it look like when you're coaching somebody to run 100Ks? Can you walk us through that process? I work on the nutrition aspect with my clients. So it's getting their, first of all, like their hydration and daily nutrition set first. Mm. Then we can work on what your pre, you know, like what your pre-run meals look like, what you're eating while you're doing endurance and you're out there for like millions of hours. (laughs) And then what your post-run nutrition looks like and then when you're recovering how that nutrition may be a little bit different as well so it's like a whole it's a whole process but um how I work with the clients mainly on their nutrition and the challenges that they come up with with that because something and this is why I was very interested in becoming a nutrition coach when you know as a person in a larger body who exercises and particularly who runs, you're out there to do a distance and you may take longer than your average person, right? Um, And it it doesn't matter if you're in a large body or a small body, if you're slow or fast or whatever, you can just be a slow person and it's going to take longer. Um, But if you're a bigger person and you're slow, you know, you're going to need a little bit more fuel (laughs) to get that done because otherwise you could like pass out, grow up all of the, you know, all of the bad side effects that come along with that. And as I was talking to nutritionists that I worked with during the process of when I was losing weight through my bariatric program, first of all, it was like the bariatric unicorn. They're like, you eat whole food we don't even know what to do with you (laughs) like just because like they're you know I was not the patient that they were kind of used to working with so like that was fun in and of itself but then when I added on the component of like well I'm exercising a lot so I I'm tired a lot because I'm calorie restricting so like how am I balancing this out no one could really help me yeah so then I kind of like through my nutrition coaching, I got into nutrition coaching for athletes. And I was like, oh, this is what I needed the whole time. Mm. Like, and it's not the the joy about this is it's not a one size fits all. Like no nutrition coaching is one size fits all. But there's this concept about sports nutrition that it's very like, oh, well, if you're a runner and you're out for X amount of time, you should eat this amount of carbs for this length of time and have this much water and do that's fine for like a specific person doing a specific distance. And it does generally work for a large portion of the, you know, population. But if your body is not average or Mm -hmm. if you have like different digestive needs because of like a surgery or something like that, 
it's going to look different. Yeah. And a lot of it is trial and error. So it's like having the guidelines is great and it's a good place to start, but there's a lot of experimentation that has to go on and a lot of adaptation to that process. So that's, I have a small group of um, clients that I work with that we work specifically on endurance fueling during a three month period where we go through general nutrition and then we get into the endurance fueling mm. component and hydration and all the different circumstances that you need to think about. Like if you're doing elevation, altitude and things like that. Yeah. So bringing in all the conditions that they would be running yeah. under, bringing in, I guess, stress, you know, like life stress mm-hmm. as well on top of all of that. Um, yeah. And then who they are as an individual. So it's looking at right. that person holistically and going, mm-hmm. what what does your body need versus what does the standard say that would work? Yeah, because if you have a person who's working like 80 hours a week and then is doing a stressful endurance training on top of that, that person is going to have different requirements from someone who may not have a full-time job, is working maybe part-time endurance training, but also gets like 10 hours of sleep a night and, you know. Yeah. And that's just like a basic sleep and stress look at it, you know, not even like height, weight, activity level, any of the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And what what I heard when you were saying, you know, somebody's working 80 hours a week and then doing, you know, stressful endurance training. I'm like, Mm -hmm. when do they come back into the parasympathetic nervous system? Like they're always in fight or flight. Like that's really stressful on their digestion. Like that could actually block the absorption of the nutrients and minerals that they actually need. Okay. Thumbs up. That's cool. You got it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That they need for those runs. Yeah. People don't realize that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm doing a gut health course at the moment. So that's, I'm all over it. That's (laughs) awesome. Yeah. But yeah, like anytime that you're doing endurance exercise, it's stress on your digestive system. And then we're requiring ourselves to take in food while we're doing that. So that takes acclimation and getting used to. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're going for a long, like a hundred kilometer run, like that's, mm-hmm. as you said, over hours, like what is that? A minimum of eight hours, depending on who the I runner mean, is? Depending on the person, like, and if you, if you're running all of it or running, walking yeah, or hiking it even. So um, I believe this client took two days. Um, wow. She probably like slept in between. You know, because you can take time to this, this particular race that a lot of my clients went to had a very extended mm. time frame that you could do the race in because they did have a hundred mile mm. component also. So it was over like 55 hours for the whole gotcha. race. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So how, how important is sleep in, you know, in preparing somebody for, a a marathon or a run and that sort of stuff and having a good sleep routine. Huge. (laughs) As someone who spent a a huge portion of my life sleep deprived and now I have like trained myself to sleep properly or as properly as I'm able. (laughs) Um, I will say like my general health and performance, even just like, not endurance running, but just like everyday life is so much better. So I can only imagine like having proper sleep on top of that is only going to benefit 
Yeah. Everybody. And the other piece of it is because stress on top of stress on top of stress, the sleep and recovery is like, that's when all the magic happens. That's when you're able to repair your muscles, restore your body, get yourself back into a comfortable state where you're not, your adrenaline's not jammed up. Yeah. And just feeling calm. But like, if you're only in that for like four to five hours a night, you're not able to repair your muscles and those micro tears aren't healing. So it's very important. Yeah. So everybody listening, get more sleep. I'm I'm an advocate for sleep. Sleep is the magic sauce. (laughs) It is. And it is about that balance, like, and making sure that you can get some restorative sleep. And then throughout your days, having those calming moments, however they look to you. And it could be for some people going on a walk, going for a swim, doing yoga, Pilates. It could be meditating, could be breath work, whatever works for you, Mm -hmm. but coming back into that just parasympathetic nervous system so that your body can digest and it's okay to have stress in your life as well, but we don't want to be there 24 seven. Right. Yeah. So can you walk us a little bit through your bariatric surgery? Because I've never had anybody on the podcast that's been mm-hmm. able to talk to that. And how, yeah. like, how did you come to that decision and what's sort of been the flow and effect afterwards for you? Yeah. So that was something that had, I have always been, quote unquote, morbidly obese, you know, through the lovely BMI chart. Mm-hmm. Um And I've had several doctors like throughout my life recommend that I do that. But I was like, nah, I'm dieting. It's great. Everything's fine here. Keep doing you, right? Um, But I think like at that particular point, I had been dieting for a length of time. Like at that point, probably like... I don't know how many years, like 20 something years. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would lose weight and regain because I was dieting. right? So it's bound to happen. Um, But yeah, so I was like, you know, I've been able to lose 50 pounds. I've been able to lose 75 pounds. I've been close to a hundred, a couple of times up and down, up and down, up and down. So I'm like, I had talked to my regular doctor, uh, my primary care, and he's like, well, you know, this may allow you to get to a new place where you're able to sort of like maintain that a little better and not be cycling as much. So I thought about it (laughs) and I, you know, I had, I had thought about it previously to doing the research um about it so I did you know did all the research and I was like well I don't want to I don't want to get a lap band because I didn't want to have something inserted Mm -hmm. into me as a foreign object and this is like this is just my personal experience it's not you know Mm. any one surgery is better than another this was just like my personal choice um, and the gastric bypass required a rerouting of intestines. So I was like, that makes me a little uncomfortable because you're, mal- you're malabsorptive either way you do. If you do, I had the um, vertical sleeve gastrectomy where they take a portion of your stomach 
and staple. So you're left with basically kind of a banana shaped stomach rather than like a larger pouch. Um, so that was the one I opted to do because I was just like, I don't want to have things chopped, rerouted. Like yeah. that seems like, um, health wise, I was like, I wanted something that was easier to recover from and not as quote unquote invasive. Right. So and I had never really had a major surgery, um, up until then, aside from like having my gallbladder removed laparoscopically. So this was the first, um, major surgery that I was going to have done. Um, so I was like, all right, I'm going to do all the work, dig into all the things. And, um, generally people had like similar success to the, um, gastric sleep or sorry, not gastric sleep, gastric bypass. Um, if you had the gastric sleeve. So I was like, all right, if I don't have to reroute things and you get similar, let's go with it. And that was becoming like the more like standard procedure when I had it done. Um, so I did all my work and I found like a bariatric center of excellence and met with the surgeon who was awesome. And he's like, oh yeah, you're going to be great at this. And you're already making so much progress. So like actually prior to my surgery, I had lost a substantial amount of weight where most patients, when they sign up for the surgery, they have like a, depending on the surgeon, like a three to six month window where you are kind of like supervised with a team to go through, I don't want to say surveillance, but like you go through a process where you are monitored on your weight loss, right? Which that also creates a lot of, this is, this is where a lot of my disordered thinking probably set in, right? Um, not like, not anything against, you know, the bariatric process. Cause I think ultimately for me, it was a good choice, even though I had some unpleasant side effects of disordered thinking. But that was, you know, that was my, yeah. um, my process with it. So yeah, like I went through and did the research and then over like, I think I had a six month window where I did that and was monitored. And I met with like psychiatric team. I met with my surgeon. I met with the nutritionist multiple times. And it was like every month you would come back and like go through a series of like three appointments. So it was pretty intense. Um, and then prior to your surgery, they put you on a very calorie restrictive diet to shrink your liver so that they're able to, you know, move, move all the parts around and do the things that they need to do to, um, give you a smaller tummy. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and then after that, you have like kind of a relearning process with eating because your food kind of goes in stages. So, in the beginning, you're limited to liquids. Um, and so like water and protein shakes, basically. So you're getting some sort of protein in. And then the diet after that point is very like protein focused because you are not able to absorb all of the nutrients and you need the protein most to heal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you go through that process and then eventually you're able to eat pureed foods and then you're able to eat some like 
lighter proteins like fish, chicken, and then eventually you're back in the game eating regular food again, just smaller portions. And then over time, you're, you know, the amount of food that you eat can increase, um, but you may have problems with certain foods and digestion based on however your stomach likes things to be. (laughs) So a lot of patients will have trouble with like digesting carbohydrates like pasta, potatoes, rice, things like that. So is that because they're heavier? Like they tend to stay around, like they're longer to to digest typically? It takes longer for them to digest, but they also can like swell. Yeah. So they're expanding yeah. so you in their kind which... of get the sensation if you eat a pasta where I like I can eat pasta now. I just can't eat like massive quantities of it because it almost feels like um, your stomach is like expanding. Yeah. <laughs> From, yeah. Yeah. And the and, yeah and you said it's actually it's been beneficial for you like you think that it was meant to be as part of your journey yeah, yeah. I think I needed to go through like I wouldn't have become a nutrition coach and done all you know I wouldn't have found my way to fitness the way that I did without that yeah and I think even after having the surgery and having you know Having the process that I did have with sort of disordered thinking about food and my body and other things, um, I think I was able to work through that because of that tool. Um, And even with working on like um, my stress-related eating and things like that, I was not able to um, engage in that to the point that I did before. Yeah. Um, So, and just like my capacity for eating, like now it has increased, but like I still like don't eat as much as I did in the before time. (laughs) So yeah, like um, I think it was definitely a learning process and I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it differently because I do feel like I learned a lot and I do feel like it did enable to, it did enable to me to improve my health in terms of I was pre-diabetic and I no longer have that issue. Um, I did have PCOS before and I may still have like underlying because I don't know that that really like cures itself. Right. Even though like, people would like you to believe that it cures itself. Um, I don't have any like active things that I know, you know, active symptoms of that anymore. Um, And I'm just like so much more active and able to do things that I love now that, and things that I was never able to do before. Yeah. So Mm, that's fabulous. Congratulations. That's huge. And it's lovely to see like those points in our journey that really help transcend us and take us to that next level. So making that choice whilst it would have been challenging, you navigated it, you researched it, you engaged Mm -hmm. with the people that resonated with you, and then you made the decision that's right for you and you just kept going forward from that point. Yeah. And I think like it's one of those things that it's going to be a lifelong journey. Like I am, I'm not one of these people that like oh, I dropped all the weight and I've kept it off for 20 years. That was not my story. 
I dropped all the weight <laughs> and I gained some back, but that's okay because during that process, I also like healed my relationship with food, which is huge. Yeah. Um. So like it is meant to look however it's going to look and it's going to take me a long time to get there. But like I still work with my medical team and I have, you know, my support team around me. So because health is good. <laughs> yeah. Health is so much bigger than what we look like you know what I mean yeah so how how do you define health now for you I think health for me now is um I mean it has so many there's so many layers to it first of all like I think you know 39 year old me (laughs) health was like okay let's diet and let's cut out all the things And let's go to the gym and run and do these things. But like now it's like, how is your, how is your emotional health? How is your sleep? How, how is your like life and your environment? Like, is that supporting you? Like, do you have a community? Are you supported in that way? And like your physical health in terms of like your physical, like what you eat and how you exercise and move your body is a small piece of that pie yeah yeah it's It's a piece right yeah but it's it's a piece it's not the whole enchilada no and it's it's stuff that you do every day anyway like you Mm -hmm. incidentally move up and down your house getting out of a chair all of that sort of stuff you know doing the dishes for us you know, feeding the chickens and things like that but then there's also then you can do specific exercise if you want to um, but you're also eating every day. So it's, it's not like it's something that's special yeah. or new or different. It's just how you want to show up for it. And then, but overall, how you want to show up for yourself. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the piece that's different for me now because it's mm-hmm. definitely out of a more caring place. Yeah. Whereas before it was almost like punishing, right? Yeah. Like you have to do these things to fix who you are rather than like, this is who you are and you can, you know, do these things to care for yourself. Yeah. And it sounds to me like it's very values driven, like where you're coming from now is a very values driven place. So what are some of the values that are important to you? Um, I think one of the, one of the most important values to me is, being compassionate and being kind to myself and others, being empathetic to myself and others. Um, And just also like accountability to myself showing up in a way that I feel good about. Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. I have another question just around who you've become. Who have you become because you've gone on this journey? I think I would say, well, I've said it before, but I'll say uh, I definitely feel like I am a work that continues to be in progress, process, but I'm definitely like, a recovering perfectionist and overachiever. Um, Yeah. And just, I'm now someone who 
I'm more in tune with myself and more, more kind to myself. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for everything that you shared. So before I jump into the wrap up questions, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? Yeah. Like, I think this has been really, I didn't foresee that our conversation would turn this way, but I really, I think it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've enjoyed it. It's been so deep and I know that we're you know, running over time. So I'm really appreciative, appreciative of you yeah. and everything you've given us. So it's been great. So I'm a massive believer in self-love. It's been a cornerstone to everything, like to my journey effectively. Um, what's one thing that you do for self-love? I think um, the thing that I most consistently do for self-love, which I might not be every single day, but it's fairly consistent is my morning routine Mm -hmm. and it's just quiet time where I number one wake up (laughs) because that has to happen so like I have my coffee I do my journaling on my daily plan and then I do some form of exercise Mm -hmm. so having that space as a way to start my day is huge and when I was teaching I was not really, I could honor that in a very like condensed way, but now that I'm coaching full-time, I have this space to do that every single day. And it's, I mean, night and day, I'm like a different person <laughs> <laughs> with like a consistent morning routine. And when that is unavailable to me, I'm not like, I feel like I'm not the same person. So yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Congrats on having that. That's awesome. <laughs> and so you've given us so much amazing information today. So if myself and the listeners were to take one thing away and implement it in our own life in service of you, what would that be? Uh, I would say, like, if there's something that you want to change in your life and your health, ask yourself if there's something like one five-minute action that you can take to get you closer to that change and do it. Like take that space for yourself, give yourself that five minutes and do that thing. Mm. So, I mean, you don't have to be go from zero to hero and do all or nothing and do all the things and go all in. You can take one tiny step and then you're a little bit closer. And then maybe that will give you, the motivation to do one tiny step tomorrow because the motivation is really just taking the action now. Yeah. Yeah. And that creates the freedom that we actually want. And it's more the freedom from our own minds around what we're telling ourselves we should do. And once we go and do it, we feel so much better to let go of the shackles. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So tell us what you're doing in the world and where can people find you? Um, I am a certified nutrition coach and I work with women who move and female athletes to get them strong, stop dieting. And, after, you know, as I said earlier, after three decades on riding the diet roller coaster, I healed my relationship with food and now help other women do the same focus on self-care through nutrition, movement, mindset, and body image. Um and if you would like to find me, I'm at Be Better with Bethany on Facebook and Instagram. Um, my website is BeBetterWithBethany.com. And 
if you would like some help implementing daily actions to move you closer to your health goals, you can check out my free video training, Spark, which is on my website. Awesome. We'll link to all of that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, awesome. Bethany. This has been yeah, fabulous. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've learned yeah, so much. It's been wonderful. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I've learned so much and I know the listeners have too. So thank you so much and thank you for all the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today and I have a couple of small favours to ask. If you love this episode, please share it with someone you love and you know the episode will resonate with. Also, to help spread the word about my podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave me a review. I love hearing your thoughts about my podcast and what's resonating with you. Plus, it helps us share my podcast with the rest of the world, which is amazing. Finally, thank you so much for being here. I'm super grateful for you and I'm truly honoured you've spent your time with me. Let's keep rising, let's keep growing because it's totally possible to live a life you love every day right where you are. See you in the next episode.